1: I work with the very base of the pyramid. They have a phone in their homes, but they don't have mobiles. And I said, come on, what are you talking about? Everybody in Mexico has a mobile phone and, and in the region is the same, the same scenario. So at the end, they are producing digital prints, I will say every second, every minute of their day. So with the alternative data, now they have the opportunity to go after this population.
0: The Pont du Gard is an ancient Roman aqueduct bridge built in the first century to carry water for 50 kilometers into Nîmes. Rising to 50 meters tall over its three tiers, it's a hell of a sight, apparently. Had I been a bit better at planning things, I would be standing on the shores of the Gardon River now, looking at it. But I made a little mistake, When I initially drew up a five-day cycling itinerary around a pilgrimage to the last home of the French Lagrange's, I was aiming for Cabriere d'Avignon. I should have been aiming for Cabriere d'Aix, the one my wife had actually mentioned, mind you. Noticing this, in time luckily, forced a reshuffle. Nîmes is off the list and now, if you're listening to this on the day it was published, I will instead be heading up and over the Vaucluse Plateau towards Lille-sur-la-Sorgue and a recovery lunch. It is said to be a wonderful ride, but it does lack the metaphor I was hoping for, for an episode entitled Bridges to Credit. Ah, well, never mind. Welcome to How to Lend Money to Strangers with Brendan LaGrange. (laughs) Santiago Espinosa, Director of Market Planning for Latin America at LexisNexis Risk Solutions. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you very much, Brendan, for the opportunity and the time.
0: I'm really looking forward to it. It's, it's a market I've not had the pleasure of working in, so I always like these episodes where I get to learn as much as anyone else. And Santiago, you've actually been you know, in the digitization, the modernization of Mexican financial services for 20 years now. So I think one of the better teachers I could ask for this subject. So, before we speak about your current work at LexisNexis, let's start with how you got there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. As everybody knows, Latin America is a bunch of countries, emerging economies, that definitely they are looking for some space for their financial inclusion and the need for their credit and personal loans. So, for example, in Mexico, we have a potential market of about 90 million people. As of today, we only have 20 up to 30 million credit cards. So as you can imagine, there is a a lot of opportunities in there The big banks in the whole world have looked for some of these opportunities in the markets, especially in Mexico and Colombia. But there is a place for pretty much everybody, because at the end, in the top tier, we have the heavily banked uh, population. But as you can imagine, it's not the big case of these markets. So there is a big challenge for all these institutions to get access to the very base of the pyramid. However, there are a lot of lacks of information in terms of credit information, PII information, information about the government institutions. So in one side, we have the need for access to the credit, no? And in the other hand, we have these hungry companies looking for these big markets. So that's where I came in working in different, in different
0: companies. I saw that we started working just a few years apart. I was in South Africa, mm-hmm. uh, also worked some time with American Express, albeit it was a American Express franchise uh, portfolio run by a bank, but also a region that has a lot of similar problems, a very well-banked tip of the pyramid and a massive underserved base of the pyramid. So uh, I'm interested to hear, as we go through the talk today, the different types of solutions that emerged yeah, in North America, in Latin America, compared to What have emerged and are emerging in Africa as well. But really, we had to talk about your more recent work, your current work at LexisNexis. Now, I know LexisNexis a little bit because in my last role, our CEO came across from LexisNexis. But prior to that, I considered LexisNexis or just thought of LexisNexis as a legal data provider and not so much as a banking data provider. So for anyone listening who may be unfamiliar with what LexisNexis Risk Solutions does, could you give us some background to the company? What are they doing around the world? But I guess in particular, what are LexisNexis Risk Solutions doing in Latin America?
1: LexisNexis Risk Solutions is a company of more than 40 years of experience in markets like the United States and the United Kingdom. However, in Mexico and, and the rest of Latin America, we have more than seven years of experience. And what a LexisNexis Resolutions offers to the Latin American market is business services related to the data, to the alternative data. So we are a consortium company with more than 6,000 companies. Within this network, we share more than 2.5 billion identities in the world. That's the outstanding number that we share with our uh, prospects and, and customers in the, in the region, no? because it's very different to say, for example, in countries like Colombia, like Mexico, Argentina, or Chile, where we have population of between 30 million up to 100 million people. But when you say, okay, we can give you access to more than 2.5 billion digital identities, that's the point where all the eyes are wide open, no? Because that's the that's the war, that's the complete the complete war, no? So from that point of view, what I will say is that LexisNexis Resolution needs the company right behind companies like Google, like Facebook, the key players in terms of digital identities. And recently, we acquired a couple of companies called Threadmetrics and Emailage. That gave us a lot of access to different data worldwide. So in just a matter of seconds, regardless of your current location, we can give you information from customers, from Asia, from Europe, from Eastern Europe, and so on. Because what we have seen is that a lot of companies coming from these regions want to expand into the Latin American market because these opportunities, that's the consortium and the power that LexisNexis Resolution has in the region and the whole
0: world. For an outsider, if we're imagining lending in Latin America, what does that landscape look like? Obviously, when you ask about a region, there's going to be lots of new ones. So it's probably unfair to ask such a simple question with a, such a complicated answer. But
1: Well, I will say that there is a lot of diversity in the lending landscape, for instance we have customers for credit cards where you can have customers with $1000 uh, credit lines up to I don't know maybe $100,000 but in the other hand you will have the the very base of the pyramid or the middle of the pyramid where they want to have a credit between $50 up to 100 or $200. So as as you can imagine, whatever is in between, that's the very big opportunity for these companies. But the problem for the companies and the people to get together is that unfortunately in the past, the companies, the lending companies, they didn't have access to uh, reliable information about the prospects or the customers they were looking after. So with the alternative data, now they have the opportunity to go after this population because what the facts that we know from the Latin American markets is that they are heavy users, for example, for mobile phones. In the case of Mexico and Colombia, the mobile phones penetration is above the 80% of the population. So that gives us a lot of digital prints, about these prospects and these customers. They are producing digital prints, I will say, every second, every minute of their day. You go to the office, you read your email, maybe you book a, a flight or a, a hotel for your next vacation or next holiday, or you do transactions in e-commerce, maybe you, uh, you buy some tickets for the, for the movies or for a concert or whatever. Each one of these activities represent a footprint in most of the cases within our consortium and within our network. So that's where the opportunities come in for the different lending companies to get access to this population. Because in the past, it was very complicated for certain sectors of the population going to a bank branch in their communities. No? Most of the time, it's very hard and very difficult to open branches closer to potential customers. With the opening of the fintechs and and with all these communications and and new technologies, now each single person with a mobile phone is a potential uh, customer for for banking services. We have a banking branch in each one of the mobile phones. So definitely that's the change that we have brought to the landscape in terms of uh, financial inclusion and the offer of financial services.
0: 40 years ago, when credit bureaus and credit bureau scores were starting to be built, we used that traditional, did you repay, did you not repay data? Because that was the only data that made sense to capture in a world where it was very expensive and difficult to capture data. It's the single most important field, but it's not inherently the field we need. We just wanted to understand our customers and understand their risk we've kept it because it works very well. But now we live in a different world. And there's all sorts of other ways we can still answer that same question of what are the patterns of this consumer? How stable are they? How risky are they? And are they likely to repay our debt? And now where a client has no credit file or very thin credit file, they may have, as you said, almost everybody does, a very thick file of alternative data that we just need to understand. And it's not as easy to conceptualize what to do if somebody's getting new data every second. (laughs) But before we get that far ahead, you mentioned telco data. When you talk about alternative data in in the region in particular, is that primarily what we're seeing, different data from the telco provider and the handset and the the activities on a smartphone? Or are there also different types of alternative data that are proving to be popular and, and useful?
1: Yeah, I I will say it's different information because what we have seen within our networks is the transactions happening every second. That's in one side. In the other side, what we have is the behavior that this person has in the digital world. Let's take Santiago as an example. Santiago, for sure, is a physical individual that does transactions every single day in the, in the digital world, paying in the e-commerce, reading my emails, using the, um, the social media, uh, getting access to video streaming services, and, and so on. But also in the real world, Santiago maybe goes and requests for a credit card for a card in a department store, maybe a card loan, and, and so on. Those are the the physical transactions where we have the traditional players like the credit bureaus. They have information like the PII information, for example, my complete name, my physical address, my phone number, etc. But what do we have in the digital world? In addition to this information, what we have, for example, is my email address, how long I have been with my email address associated with with my personal name. So, for example, Santiago has a a personal email address for, I I would say, more than 20 years old. And my mobile phone number has been the same from since, I don't know, another 20 years old, no? So what happens, for example, if Santiago wants to request or wants to apply for a personal loan in a fintech, maybe in Mexico or in Colombia? If they want to use alternative data, they will look for my PII information based in the credit bureaus. But also in some of the cases, they want to know where I'm I located. Some of the newest companies are exposed to different fraudsters in different locations trying to steal information from the traditional sources. But well, let's say that someone has access to my physical address, my complete name, etc but they don't have the information of the alternative data. So that's a very good opportunity for some companies like us to prevent frauds. We know that historically Santiago has performed transactions from uh, from Mexico City, not from Asia, from Eastern Europe, and, and so on. So that's what type of information we can use.
0: If somebody were to compromise my identity in the real world, the sort of most formal version of my identity that remains compromised, whereas my online, my digital footprint moves. Your patterns will shift over time. What's normal for you changes, and I think that something that can move and flex is much harder to copy. But Santiago, when it comes to people lending with this alternative data, how is the lender incorporating it? Are they pulling this in instead of traditional data alongside traditional data?
1: Okay, that's a and that's a very good question. And the answer is that they use both. The first one is where the mainly the traditional institutions, the traditional banks, are the ones relying the most for the traditional credit-based institutions. However, they have started to incorporating alternative data models within their own in-house models. And on the other hand, what we have seen mainly in the fintechs and the and the startups, they are the ones relying more in the alternative data because they are let's say, digital native, no? So for them, they, they adapt, the adoption process is easier rather than the, than the traditional banks. But I would, my recommendation always is the same. The way this needs to be seen is a, as a complement, as a very good muscle that can make your model stronger and to get access to more population than the one providing for them uh, from the credit bureaus. Let me give you one example with one of our customers in Mexico. Cubo Financiero is an online uh, lending company. They do uh, personal loans to the middle of the, of the pyramid. With alternative data, we were able to increase their portfolio up to 200% of, of their current base. At the same time, we were able to reduce their fraud rate up to 30%. So definitely, that's a, a very successful story before us. Because in the best case scenario, the credit bureaus have access for, I will say, between the 20 up to 30% of the population. In the rest of the cases, they don't have any information about the prospects. So with the alternative data, we were able to provide access to that population and to know their behavior and to identify the good payers and to dismiss potential fraudsters. And definitely, some others. Once they have seen this type of results, they are asking, "Okay, what will be better for me?" Because I can I can reduce cost. For example, if I dismiss the the, the traditional credit bureau services, but at the end, you can work with both. You can work together.
0: You couldn't imagine any other business where. You would turn away half the customers who came knocking on the shop door in the morning. And yet you so often find lenders who yeah, turn away 30, 40, 50, 60 percent of the applications because they lack the, the data they needed. And so this is hugely beneficial. And, you know, we talk about access to credit it is often rightly spoken about in terms of the consumer benefit. But also, of course, there's a, there's a real big benefit to the lenders as well in, in widening their pool, bringing in customers that are no more or less risky. It's just now we can identify them. You know, the, the sort of uplift you're talking about here isn't unique. I was actually reading uh, LexisNexis's recently published Alternative Credit Data Impact Report. And that mentions that the use of alternative data has positively impacted revenue growth for nearly all the financial institutions that were surveyed with the majority saying revenue increased by at least 15%. So these alternative data sources can provide layers uh, of insight we we haven't seen before. So let's stay on that positive of the impact. You've mentioned some great examples there. Are there other use cases that are worth calling out?
1: Yeah, absolutely. There are different examples of the lift that we were able to provide to different customers along the region. So let me give you one more example, talking about migration, because at the end, that's common in the region. People from Venezuela going to Colombia, people from Central America coming into Mexico, and also we are receiving people from Chile, from Argentina, because of different situations in in those markets. So what happens in those cases? Let's say that you are a person coming from Argentina, and you come to Mexico, legally, of course. But regardless if you are legal or not, what is happening is that you don't have any credit background information in Mexico. So, okay, you will start working in a company and definitely you have the need to get access to credit. No. So you have spent six months in Mexico, but you don't have access to any credit card because the traditional banks, what they ask for is information within the credit bureaus, receipts from different months in, in your payroll, and, and so on. That's the typical information, regardless of the of the content
0: I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me.
1: But definitely these type of people, they don't have that type of information because at the end they are coming to a new country with you know, with the money that you have in your pocket. And basically that's it. The companies that are incorporating alternative data within their risk models are the ones providing more access to credit to these type of people. In the scenario that I gave you, you execute it and you have a digital footprint in Argentina. The power of companies like LexisNexis Resolutions is that we are able to collect that information coming from different sources within our consortium and we can incorporate that into the risk models of these type of companies. So in a matter of Seconds or minutes, I will say these companies are able to give you a credit card, a credit line, a personal loan. So these companies are the ones getting access to this type of, of population.
0: You could come even with your papers in hand and find that in the new country, they won't accept that ID unless it's stamped, unless it's translated. And through no fault of yours, you just cannot participate and then. You start paying all these extra costs of having to work around the system. The one thing that it brings to mind is that you know anybody who's worked in data at one time or another has said you know more data is better, and usually we're data hungry. So why have some lenders not done this yet? Why haven't more lenders already embraced alternative data in that search for just more, more, more?
1: That's a tough question. There is not a direct answer for that question. But what I have seen in my, in my experience is that in some of the cases, unfortunately, I will say depends on the mindset of the of the people in charge of managing the, the risk in the companies. In the region, what I have seen is that the traditional mindset is very set. They say, I will say that information is not 100% accurate. No. And, and my answer to that question is that You have access into the digital world every single day, no? And in the traditional, in the credit bureau institutions, um, they take, for example, one day, one week, one month, one cycle cut for the information to be updated. If I execute my credit bureau right now for Mexico, there is information for the first company that I work with, no? And in the alternative data world, for example, what uh, the type of information that you will see is the information that I executed a few seconds ago, the transaction that I did a few hours ago. So that's the difference. And that's why we execute pilots free of mostly free of charge for them uh, for the companies. For them to test our services, to test our data, to test the attributes that they can incorporate to their models, because again, for some of them, it's hard to believe that this alternative information is more reliable than the one coming from traditional sources.
0: I love that uh, example because, yeah, in the traditional model, if I think about identity verification, yeah, I've been asked, yeah, which of these is a previous work address of yours or a previous phone number of yours, or I've seen in, in my one of my cards from a neo bank here, you know, it's got location based security. So if my card is used near my phone, you know, then it's OK. And it knows where I am standing right now. So it doesn't matter which was my, you know, what was my office address three years ago when I moved to to England or 10 years ago in Hong Kong. <laughs> it's where you're standing at the moment.
1: Yeah, I, I for example, I used to be consultant. So you can imagine the number of different companies that I work with. And, and when they ask me, OK, can you give me your office numbers? Oh, my gosh, what number is that?
0: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And you mentioned there about doing pilots and tests. So maybe it's a good time to bring this back to, to Nexus. What role are you fulfilling the and how are you helping uh, lenders out there uh, in Latin America work through this conceptual project of uh, understanding what data is out there, how to take it into their risk models? how to use it to make lending decisions that are more accurate, fraud decisions that are more accurate.
1: Yeah, in my own words, I will define myself as a kind of ambassador because I I am part of this digital evolution that we are seeing in the region, the revolution for the traditional banks to become digital banks because I, I worked in the first Mexican digital bank a few years ago. So I have seen this paradigm change, no? And my recommendation is that they see me as, okay, you are telling me about these attributes, the digital data, in some of the cases it's new for me, and you sound really excited talking about this topic. And my answer is yes, I sound really, really excited about this because I have seen the old model too, no? I come from traditional institutions. I have seen the traditional risk models. And now I believe I am one of the key players in this revolution. And the numbers are out there, no? And I have seen some companies saying, okay, Santiago, maybe your company or or the data or the solutions that you are telling me, they don't apply for my customers or my prospects because I work with the very base of the pyramid. The best case scenario, they have a phone in their homes, but they don't have mobiles. And I said, come on, in Mexico we're 130 million people and from those, 100 million people have mobile phones. So what, what are you talking about? Everybody in Mexico has a mobile phone and in the region it's the same, the same scenario. So in that sense, we as a company, we are able to digitize some of the companies in a matter of days or weeks instead of years. So I am the one working and providing these conversations to the senior levels in their companies and make them understand the value and the lift that they can receive using our solutions and the the power of the alternative data and the digital footprint.
0: Yeah, well, Santiago, I love to hear that passion. And I I, I agree with you that in terms of timing, the traditional works well. It's still an important pillar of, of lending. But we've got this whole new set of data types that we can understand. And often, as you said, it it tells us a lot more than maybe we think. And every year, smartphones get cheaper, they get further spread out, we're only going to get more and more alternative data. So you're going to have to understand it, you're going to have to incorporate it into your lending one day, you may as well do it now and get the benefits from now. So Santiago, if anyone is listening and wants to start that conversational, maybe they want to just learn more about LexisNexis Risk Solutions, where is a good place for them to go online to find out more?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Within our website, LexisNexis Risk Solutions, there is a lot of information about our different solutions and the power of our digital networks, the different use cases that uh, your company needs. And you can get in there information about these numbers growing and the number of fraudsters that we're stopping and and the success cases that we have with the financial inclusion in in the Latin America region and in some other regions worldwide, we are in, in the middle of a revolution, no? Where regardless of your location, if it's Latin America, if it's Mexico, Colombia, Argentina and so on, we are able to provide information from worldwide to your market. Yes, okay, you know your customers, but you know your customers in your own environment. Or maybe you don't know how your customers are behaving in different companies, in different markets, in different sectors, no? Maybe it's a different behavior from the e-commerce, from the insurance sector, or the online travel agencies, and, and so on, or banking services, no? That's the that's the power of our, of our company and you can reach me directly in LinkedIn that I will be more than happy to support you in any question you may have about about our solutions.
0: Perfect. Yeah, Santiago, I'll put those in the show notes as well for anybody who wants to start that conversation. So yeah, thank you for your time. It's been fantastic learning about the region, but also just about the impact that the sort of data is having out there.
1: <laughs> Thank you very much, Brendan, and for everybody listening to, to us in this conversation. It has been a pleasure for me to give you uh, maybe quick view of the Latin America region and the potential that we have and whatever we have done here in the market. It's a world of opportunities for everybody because obviously you can talk about the U.S. and the United Kingdom as, as the key players for the fintechs and the, and the startups. However, for example, in Brazil, Mexico, and Colombia, we have a lot of companies coming from different markets, from different locations, opening and starting operations in our region. So definitely that talks about the potential that they are seeing in our, in our market no? Because again, you are talking about maybe millions of people that they don't have today access to the banking services. And regardless if it's a personal loan, a credit line, a credit card, or just a digital savings account, there is a big opportunity for, uh, for the region.
0: Yeah, and I think you know, you're talking about a region with lots of people moving back and forth, lots of people sending remittances, a remittances, remittances, uh, mobile population between countries
1: absolutely and remember that in the digital world they are no borders no <laughs> so absolutely we can do pretty much everything we want in the in the digital world and we can bring everybody together
0: yeah well i'm going to be following that story i'm going to go head over to the website now as well and, and read up some of the reports in a bit more detail santiago uh, yeah thank you again and thank you all for listening Please do look for and follow the show on your favorite podcast platform and share the updates widely on LinkedIn, where lending nerds are found in our largest concentration. Plus, send me a connection request while you're there. This show is written and recorded by myself, Brendan LaGrange, in Brighton, England. Show music is by I Am Wake, and you can find show notes and written transcripts at show, And I'll see you again next Thursday.